Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sun Guy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sun Guy with you. Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most coming out from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has to boast because his favorite part of social media is making a post. Coach Mike Jones on assignment. He's prepping for tomorrow's Coach Mike Jones show with guest Lewis Rock, apparently. I don't believe he's related to Chris Rock, but perhaps that will be Coach's opening question. For those looking for some pro wrestling in the next couple of days, tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, PWK in Knox, Indiana. Tomorrow night, Northwest Pro, where you can find myself and Chicken Bob, we will be there in Vaughn, Washington, Wrestle Club in Caldwell, Idaho, NLPW in Sacramento, California. New Era in Shelbyville, Indiana, PPW in Bedford, Indiana, NGW in Burnettsville, Indiana, TWX in South Haven, Mississippi, RCW in South Bend, Indiana, Zero One in Mattoon, Illinois, TWA in Kingsville, Texas, DCW in Troy, Ohio, and TCW in Jeffersonville, Indiana. It looks like our guest has joined us. Let's bring him to the forefront here immediately. Dewey Murray, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. What's going on, boys? How are you? Doing very well. Now, since it is your first time with us, I will lead you off today with our traditional first-timer question. How did you get into the business of pro wrestling? Uh, something that I always loved uh, growing up, and um, I'm a very large individual, so, uh, you know, parents tried to get me to do some after-school activities. I was really good on the bowling team, uh, really good on the swim team, and then I always liked wrestling, so I went to try out for wrestling for the wrestling team when I was in high school, and this was 10th grade, and... uh, this one kid, you know, was like, I'm going to pick up the biggest guy and, like, went to go pick me up and, like, dropped me. And, like, I broke my hand and stuff. And I was like, eh. You know, I always wanted to do pro wrestling, not, like, you know, school wrestling. And uh, I actually looked up a school, and it was legitimately not even 20 minutes from my house. So, you know, at the ripe age of 15, I, I, I ended up finding a wrestling school that was local and trained there, so. Now, getting into pro wrestling, did you have contacts as far as knowing people that were in the business or people that had previously been in the business, or did you go in totally cold? Yeah. I knew nobody locally 
at all. Um, I didn't even know there was a such thing as independence. Um, at that time, you know, my childhood, we had, you know, WWE, we had WCW, and we had ECW. And um, there was a friend of the family that my father grew up with. And uh, we would always go to, like, a lot of the local ECW shows and stuff like that and, and WCW shows. But other than that, I really never knew there was anything other local than, like, the big companies. But uh, there is a funny story. Um, I started wrestling in about three years after uh, I was wrestling. The, the two, they're called the McLeod Brothers. They're out of my area. And... Uh, we had a big show, and their father ended up coming, and my father ended up coming. They ended up sitting behind one another. Halfway through the show, my father goes up to this gentleman and goes, Holy shit, Uncle Steve. Their father was actually previously uh, married to my aunt, and they got divorced even before I was born. So, long story short, for about a year and a half, I was actually wrestling with and hanging out with my real cousins and never even knew it was a thing until one big, huge show here. Wrestling is a very small world indeed. I always say that. Now, you are in the New York State area, which has traditionally been a hotbed for professional wrestling. Did you, when you got into things, kind of know the history of the sport in the state of New York, or was it something that you didn't really know much about before you got going in your career? Uh, it's something I did not know much about, but it's something that I learned quick about. Um, I came up in a perfect time. Um, I don't think you could ask for a better uh, come up. Um, the school that I came out of, which was Kayfabe Dojo at the time, 90% um, of, like, the undercard for Ring of Honor was there. You had Loke. You had Ring Crew Express. You had the Outcast Killers. You had all these top talents that were coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, we were just this local little indie spot. And, and these were all guys either from the Rochester area, Buffalo area, or like the Albany area. One of the places that had possibly one of the most famous matches in wrestling history was Troy, New York. It was the site of Ric Flair and Terry Funk's I Quit match. You don't hear a lot on Troy, New York, but that crowd for that particular show was just very, very into wrestling. It seemed like a very hot area. And then just silence on that town for a long, long time. Do you know if Troy was ever really on the radar of the bigger companies? Was there a particular reason you didn't see a lot more bigger shows held there? Um, Troy has always been a hit and miss for promotions. 
Um, I've actually wrestled in Troy, New York. Um, and it's just, it's a hit and a miss. Like, like when you go to certain towns, you know, you can figure out, okay, the draw is going to be, you know, they want some legends or the draw is going to be, they want women. The draw is going to be, they want indie current, current indie top guys, or they want guys that are fresh off TV. Troy is one of those places where if you have local ticket sellers and you can figure out who wants to see who and who wants to see what, when and where, then you can kind of draw. Like I, I know Impact's gone there and they've drawn decent. Um, 2CW ran there before. Um, there used to be shows out of there yearly to coordinate with the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame when it was out of the Albany area, which I believe it just moved back to this area. Of course, when a lot of people think New York, they think New York City, but like with Troy, there's a lot more to the state of New York. There's a lot of bigger towns like Albany, Glens Falls, Rochester. Do you think a lot of wrestling fans may not realize how big that the state of New York is for pro wrestling as a whole? Do you think that maybe a lot of fans overlook what is not specific to New York City? Yes. Um, even with traveling, um, I travel all over. I mean, I've, I've gone to Canada, and I've had it happen. I've gone down to Tennessee. I've gone down to Carolina, and, I, and you know, and I tell people, hey, I'm from New York, and they're like, oh, you don't got an accent. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Oh, well, you know, New York City. And it's like, no, I live like six hours away. And not a lot of people realize how big actually New York is. Like when I explain to people where where I am, I, I have to use sports. Like everybody knows the Buffalo Bills and everybody knows the Syracuse Orangemen. I'm the crappy town in the middle that's an hour away from each. One of the more unpleasant parts of pro wrestling if you're in this for very long is the injury that will occasionally pop up. I'm sure you've had at this point a few injuries due to wrestling. What's some of the injuries you've overcame to this point? Hmm. Well, I've had my knees doped. Um, I've broken a couple different fingers. Um... I suffer from psoriasis, so when I do have an, an outbreak, usually nine times out of ten, my elbows would bust open. Um, there was a show in the Buffalo area about 11, uh, yeah, 11 years ago, and uh ring crew messed up putting on the bottom broken rope and put it on the top, and the top rope broke. I went ass over tea kettle and shattered my ankle on the side of the ring. Um, but other than that, I mean, I've got some staples and stitches to the head, but other than that, I mean, I've gotten hurt hurt worse at my shoot job <laughs> than that I have uh, wrestling, but. Now, a lot of people in wrestling gravitate towards a favorite arena that they have where they get to perform, whether it's the aesthetics or the crowd that 
kids to go there or whatever reason they have a favorite venue. Do you have that favorite venue where you most like to go to wrestle? Um, They've all either been shut down or the companies don't run anymore. Um, I, I, I love... Uh, NWA Upstate when when well it had a couple different name changes but during that period uh, they ran the Ukrainian club and it was a bingo hall but you know we would pack 450 people in this tiny bingo hall that should only hold about 300 and it was just everybody on top of everybody you could feel the moments you can feel the energy and everything. Um, I would also say Elmira. Elmira is uh, not just the venues, but Elmira is one of those towns where the fans show up and they show out. Um, I've been there where a fan took his prosthetic leg off and handed it to Tommy Dreamer. Uh, I've been there in Elmira where I was part of a match and we had over a thousand rolls of toilet paper thrown at us. It just, it's Elmira is one of those towns that doesn't make a difference about the venue. It's just one of those towns that just wants to see wrestling and gets very involved. On the flip side of that, we all know if a promoter can figure out a way to set up a ring, occasionally, even if they can't, they will hold a show if there's a few dollars to be made. What's the most unusual venue or event to wrestle? Um, the most unusual event is uh, there was this promotion. The guy kept losing, like, because uh, in New York, you, know, you, you have to have insurance and a promoter's license and an ambulance and a doctor, so... You know, this guy kept booking shows, and every other time there was an excuse. And then finally he was like, I need to recoup some money, and legitly paid us to sit and do a luncheon and eat the world's driest baked ziti and sign autographs for about maybe 30 people that showed up. Wow. Not even good ziti. He just, it was a throw-together luncheon autograph, and he said he, you know, he had a couple hundred people, and at the end of the day, it was a dry pasta bake and maybe 35 people. And that's including us signing autographs for his kid. Now, speaking of the luncheon at Big Ziti, diet is something that a lot of wrestlers will take very, very seriously. Some guys... Know every single calorie that they will put in their mouth. Some guys are strict on like proteins, carbs, that type of thing. What's your typical diet like? I'm a large individual, so my diet doesn't know no restrictions. Um, I, mean, like, I don't eat like everything like super unhealthy, but you know, I do have my occasional pizza, you know, some some Chinese food and stuff like that. But normally, I like to cook at home and just 
you know, do basically some home-cooked meals. And right now I'm up in the north, so it's soup season and crockpot season. So my diet consists of anything I can throw in a crockpot while I'm at work and any type of soup that goes in it. In a similar fashion, obviously wrestling is very physical, so being in shape is important to that. What's the current training regiment like for you? Um, well, I get up and uh, I usually have breakfast and then I haul a lot and a lot of garbage. Um on a typical day, I usually load a truck with about a ton to a ton and a half of garbage, and then I'll load it again at a landfill by hand, and then usually I go maybe once a week. I go down to a local wrestling school and just roll around. Now, someone that has been around for a while, when you go to wrestling schools to roll around a little bit and keep in shape and so forth. Do you see a lot of the younger guys that are just stopping by to work on new skill sets and things of that nature, or do you see that a lot of the newer kids are not really continuing to train after they've graduated from initial wrestling school? Um, I'm going to be really honest they still put in the work. Um, you know, H.C. Loke has one hell of a school. He's producing some of the top-tier talent that's coming out of this area. Right now, T.J. Epics is one of them, and that kid's been graduated. But I'm in the group chat for the school, and I personally know T.J., and that kid goes to the gym eight days a week, and he's at the school 24-7, and he's always busting his ass. I mean, there's 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 these kids. I've I've yet to see anybody not put in the work that's come through lately. This has actually been this year's crop of guys from our area has actually been the better crop in a long time. I mean, a long time. The last crop of guys that were this good was the Dick Justices, the Nick Andos, the Sean Cars, those guys coming up in the area. And now you got guys like TJ Epics, you got Siren Rain, you got guys like Greed who are out of the upstate area, you know, and these kids are not just putting out amazing matches, amazing promos. They're putting in just as much work behind the scenes is what they're pumping out product-wise. One of the styles of pro wrestling that has become more popular over the last 20 years or so is the Lucha Libre style, especially with the advent of WCW's Cruiserweight division. We saw American fans exposed to it more widely and now we have all Lucha-based promotions all over the United States. Do you see a lot of Lucha Libre type of wrestling in your career? In this area, not as much as you see more of, you know, high spots. 
you see more of a high spot, more, more, more of that type of intense action, not, you know, more of a Lucha Libre style. It's very rare to see, to see that style of matchup here, but you do get it once in a while. What are the other sort of niche markets in pro wrestling is the bar show where wrestlers are set up in a bar. It's obviously an adult-only type of crowd, and usually they do a lot more of the hardcore style of wrestling. Language is a lot looser, that type of atmosphere. Do you do a lot of bar shows in your own personal career? No, but I would love to do more of them. Um, there's a new company in this area called uh, EWF, and they actually have a ring, but they actually set up in like a bar area. It's all more of a laid-back hardcore. It's all adults. It's 18 plus, and stuff like that's a lot of fun, and I really truly enjoy it. And um, I know. XTW is putting on something similar to those called uh, Horror Something Theater. And I've actually seen like some of the clips from that, and that's actually really great. So, I, I, I mean, a lot of the, the product that they're putting out for these bar shows, like MV Young puts out a really good product and stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of the other guy in New York City who does them. I want to say it's like Big Vin or Big Vincent or something. And, I mean, they're not they're definitely not bad matches. And, and there's actually, like, you'll see some cheer names on some of those shows. One of the ways in 2022 that a lot of fans are exposed to shows like you just mentioned and the wrestlers that you've talked about is through the streaming services, things like Roku, YouTube, uh, Powerbomb.tv, all these sources where fans have access to independent wrestling that is out of their area. Do you feel that with the advent of streaming services, it will hurt the live attendance aspect of professional wrestling, or do you think that this is something that may help with that? It's something that's going to want to help because the more people see it, and especially if they catch something, they're like, oh, wow, this is actually local, you know, they're going to want to go, or, you know, there's people that are going to be like, oh, man, you know, this is, you know, my son or my daughter's favorite, you know, wrestler, blah, blah, blah. They look it up, they're like, oh, you know, they're at a, you know, a show, you know, two hours away. So it, it can only help. It's not going to hurt. It's, you know, it, it's not like you're putting, because a lot of times the content on there usually, if it's not a pay-per-view, usually isn't like live in this week's. Um, I work for Rope to Rope, and they do a lot on Roku TV, and I mean, they time out their episodes and everything, so it's not like, you know, this week's show got played live or it's getting played on Sunday. It, it takes, you know, six to eight weeks for the, the, the show to actually come out throughout and stuff like that. One of the other traditional ways that fans would 
learn more about wrestlers out of their area is wrestling magazines. Magazines in general are not necessarily extinct, but they are much less common than they used to be. Pro wrestling in particular has very few on the market. The PWI 500 is something that a lot of people in and out of the industry pay attention to to this day. It's sort of a benchmark of maybe who's on the way up, who's on the way down in the wrestling industry. Do you put a lot of focus on the 500 each year to kind of get a gauge of who is where, or do you not pay attention to the things like that? Um, when I get the 500, I usually just look at it to see who I know and stuff like that. I mean, I really don't, you know, pay attention because when you look at it, a lot of the people are not even from the area I'm from and stuff like that. So, I'll far as out of area, a lot of wrestlers always want to have international travel for their career just as sort of a personal achievement to get out of the country and be able to wrestle. Do you have any sort of international goals for your career? I'd eventually like to make it over to Europe. Uh, when you look at the European scene, it is easier in our area than it ever was really to get to Europe for professional wrestling. There's a lot more independence out there now. Is contacting European promoters something you've done at this point, or is it still just sort of a goal of yours to eventually get to that point? It's a goal. I mean, I sent out feelers, and you know, I've got some stuff back, but it's it's the travel that you know, a flight from here over over there is between twelve to fourteen hundred. Very true. A lot of wrestlers in the last several years have been trying to open up new areas to pro wrestling. We've seen wrestling open up in Romania, in Qatar, in a few countries in South America that previously had no real live professional wrestling to it. If a company were to call you and want your help to open up a brand new territory and have you go out for three months, six months, a year, whatever it is, to build, do you think that that is something that you would like to do to sort of start from scratch, from the very first live events in a country to sort of establish pro wrestling? Yes. Um, Because, you know, that way, you know, nothing... Nothing's been tapped, you know, the market's fresh and, 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 and the only thing you can do is only go up from when you start, you know, you can never go backwards. One of the 
goals a lot of wrestlers have when they are several years into their career is to transition over to the other side of the business and do more as far as office work, be it a promoter, a booker, agent, that type of position. Have you looked into the other positions or maybe even held any of the positions in a wrestling office? It's a pain. Because, um, you know, when you're not in office, you just show up, you do your thing or whatever. And then when you're in office, whether you're helping or, you know, you're a full member of the office, you have to deal with so much on show day that you can barely focus on what you need to do. And it's just crazy. So it's one of those things where you can't multitask. You either got to, like, work and wrestle or you either have to like be behind the scenes because there's so much between no shows or this person doesn't want to do this or this person thought this was going to happen and it's just and this person wants to do this and and, and then you got to run it past everybody it's just a whole big headache instead of you know just showing up with your bag putting gear on entertaining the fans and going home so I enjoy both aspects but it's one of those things where I would have to focus on one over the other. Because I'm one of those people where I have to give full attention to something. A lot of wrestlers eventually will put on a show, even if it's a one-off, just to be able to say that they have promoted a show, and whether it's just to have the experience or to better understand the job or because of wanting to do a fundraiser, what have you, is running your own show, whether it's a full-time promotion or just sort of a one-off, something that you've ever thought of doing at this point? Uh, yes. Um, if I had the funds, I would totally run a one-off show once a year. Or, you know, maybe start something where I run, you know, four times or six times a year. But right now I don't see that in in, in the cards in the future. But if, if I could find a way to do it, it's something I definitely would do. One of the other parts of pro wrestling that a lot of guys will gravitate towards is tag team wrestling. It's a different type of skill set than a singles match and a lot of people that aren't in wrestling may not necessarily fully appreciate or comprehend it but it's two totally different things if it's done correctly do you do a lot of tag wrestling in your own career oh yes yes i do um that's one of my specialties um I, uh, I, I, one of my first tag teams was with uh, Dick Justice. It was an awesome one. We had such a good time. Um, I also teamed with uh, Brody Lee for a while. Uh, and then uh, I also teamed with a local celebrity 
Pauli Guglielmo, who owns Guglielmo Sauce, who sells that um, all throughout the United States. And then also, currently, I work with Rob Sweet, and I'm one half of the Open Road Hellboys. And we are currently the Rope to Rope champions. We just lost the UW Tag Team Champion belts, and we lost the Northern Tier belts about six or seven months ago. But yeah, so yeah, I tag a lot. Now, when you have younger wrestlers, do you find that they struggle if they are put in a tag team to be able to do things correctly? Or do you think a lot of these guys are picking up the differences and the nuances of tag team wrestling? Um, a good tag team, and it's hard for a young tag team because you have to be able to mesh together and be a perfect couple in all reality. Like, you have to be one of those people that you guys can complete each other's sentences and know each other's thoughts and each other's reactions. Uh, me and Rob Sweet, we are 120% perfect at that. Whether we're calling matches out there or in the back, we just, it's 100% us finishing each other's sentences, us having the same ideas, us just going out and having a blast. And that's the thing that a lot of, like, the newer guys you won't see do well because they're like, oh, I wanted to be a singles guy. I'm in this tag team. Oh, this really sucks. I want to get my stuff in. And, you know, it just really doesn't mesh well because, you know, a lot of the the, the greener guys, especially, like, guys that are a year or two in, they just want to be the standout. They don't want to be, oh, well, I stand out with somebody else. One of the more overlooked aspects of pro wrestling is the role of the referee. They can be very, very critical to the success or the failure of a particular match or sometimes even a particular promotion. Who are some of the referees out there that you've worked with that you think might deserve more credit than what they are given? Um... Well, there's this guy up here called uh, Ref Ryan. He's really good. Um, a lot of referees, um, Jesse Woodruff, who's out of the, the, the Rochester area, is very good. Uh, Jim Holbert, who's out of Pennsylvania, amazing referee. Um, a lot of referees are, are, are awesome because it's hard to find referees. So nine times out of ten, all the referees are good. Because the only people training the referees are great referees to begin with. So you never really get a bad referee anymore. Have you ever been in a situation where you did have a referee that did not seem to know what they were doing and you may have been not only wrestling an opponent but wrestling against the inexperience or inability of a referee? 
Um, I've only had it happen once, and it was years ago. Um, they had a car that uh, somehow something happened with the car, and the car couldn't make it, and the car had two of the referees besides two of the workers in it. So there was only one referee, and they had a trainee there that was training to be a referee, but it was, like, only, like, not even, like, the poor kid was, like, not even, like, a month in. And we did um, a no-disqualification tornado tag match. And the kid starts going for a five count in the corner. And we're like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to disqualify you. We're like, no, you can't. There's no, it's tornado tag. Like, that's not what you know. If you're in the corner for five, and like, like, you like legitimately had to pull the kid aside and like explain in the middle of the match, the rules of the match, because nobody really told him beforehand. They just were like, all right, uh, you do this match, this match, this match, and I'm going to need a break here and here. And the poor kid had no clue about anything. One of the other parts of pro wrestling that gets sadly overlooked is the role of the ring announcer. They are oftentimes not given the credit that they are due. Fans look at them as the face of the company, rightly or wrongly. A lot of times ring announcers are perceived by fans to be the person in charge of a company. Who are some of the better ring announcers out there that you work with regularly? Um, Ginger Jay from the upstate area. Um, fans mess with him so much that a lot of them actually bring him bags of ginger snap cookies. Um, Paul Bow is really amazing. Uh, Chris Gulo or Golo, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's either one of those ways. But he's really great from the area. Um, there's uh, KJ from Pennsylvania. Um, then there's Andy Malukas. Uh, and then last but not least, there's Stephanie Cook, who just retired because her husband, uh, Rob Cook, Ivy Green, just retired because he was an active in-ring competitor. A lot of independent shows, especially in this era, they become more of a... uh, trading show uh, situation a lot of times because schools get attached to promotions very often now. You see a lot of trainees on shows and uh, you'll see student shows, trainee shows pop up where it's mostly the students of the school. Do you like the idea of promotions that have schools doing student shows or do you think that those are something that shouldn't be in front of a paying crowd. Mm. Wrestling schools got to pay their light bills, and the students got to learn at some point in front of a live crowd. 
And nine times out of town, ten, the live crowd for student shows, one, aren't paying usually what you would pay for a full event put on by the company. And two, it's just usually, you know, friends and family. It's usually not the diehard fans of that promotion. You know, so they're, they're, you know, getting ready to be in front of the crowd, and that's a good step for them to take instead of, you know, because if you're doing a student show and you make a mistake, you can learn from it. It's not that noticeable, and you can fix it instead of them doing that at like a live huge show in front of a couple hundred people, you know, that might discourage somebody. They may not want to wrestle again. They might not want to whatever. So it just helps in the learning process. And I actually think it's a really great idea. Obviously one of the more important things that a wrestler has is their wrestling gear, boots, tights, trunks, whatever it is they wear into a match. Do you have a go-to gear maker that you use? He actually just passed away. Um, to use uh, Ash Aubrey, he did uh, Ethan Page, um, Mooses from Impact's gear, and a bunch of other people's gear. But um, I also use uh, Kitty. Her name is Kitty. Her real name is Christine. She's Bill Collier's fiance, and she does awesome work. She's out of the Buffalo area. Her It's like designs by Kitty or something, and she does great by-hand work, amazing to fit great quality. Now, when you look to have gear made, do you come up with the designs yourself, or do you rely on others to maybe help you come up with a design of what you would want to have in the ring? Uh, I come up with, like, so, the last singlet that he made me, I said I wanted, because he did a singlet with a truck for me, I go, I want the same thing, but instead of just the truck, I want a jacked up unicorn with like a rainbow mane, and then down the back of the center, I wanted um, a rainbow tire track. And I didn't draw anything up. I didn't, you know, give him any design. I just, you know, gave him the idea. This is the front. This is the back. This is kind of how I want to place. And I got pictures before he put everything together, and it was just amazing. I, I, I mean, that's usually what I do. Um, I used to do legend impersonations back in the day, so I actually know how to make gear. And um, I don't do it. It's It's a hassle. I give so much respect to anybody who sits behind a sewing machine and can rock out some gear because that is one of the hardest, if not one of the hardest jobs in this business is to pump out some gear. In my own career, I have noticed a lot of guys have 
tape rituals that they will do, whether it is applying the tape in a certain way, writing whatever message on the tape each time, or however it is that they go about the tape. Do you have a specific tape ritual that you use? Uh, I usually put, you know, a couple around my wrist because I have tattoos. But I am more of the water bottle guy. The 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 spray bottle calms my nerves. I don't know why. I'm like a cat or something. It's just very common. It's very soothing. So usually I go out drenched just because I'm sitting there with the spray bottle. And it's just very relaxing. Now, obviously, like you said, you have tattoos and... In society in general, tattoos have become pretty commonplace over the last couple of decades. What are some of the more interesting tattoos you've seen on wrestlers? These tattoos are becoming more and more popular. Um, and neck tattoos... Um, I really haven't seen anything that's, like, super awful because a lot of wrestlers are nerdy. They're usually, like, cartoon-based or comic book-based or based around movies or there's a wrestler from my area, Tylicious. He has amazing Macho Man tattoos. Um, I've seen a lot of wrestlers with tattoos and stuff like that, you know, tattoos like the Ultimate Warrior, Brett the Hitman Hart. So I've seen plenty of stuff like that, and and, and I don't have any issue with it. I mean, I've never seen nothing over-the-top crazy or whatever. Like, uh, I know for a while a lot of people used to talk about uh, Kevin Blackwood because he, uh, he has his arm pitch black, tattooed out, like like a whole sleeve. And you know what? It fits him. He looks good. It's him. Like, you know, people get tattoos because, you know, it's whatever they want to do with their body. So I really kind of don't judge what other people have, but I've also at the same time gone up to people and done like, that's been an amazing tattoo. Because um, a lot of people just have been getting a lot of good cartoon work lately. Somebody recently had a really good Simpsons tattoo. I've seen a real good Pokemon tattoo recently. Um, and also, there were, there's a lot of tattoo conventions that actually have, like, wrestling at them. There was one last year in my area that actually had, like, tattoo and wrestling all in one. You can get, you know, full day tattoo convention, wrestling show. When the convention ended uh, at 7 o'clock, the wrestling show started at 7.30. One of the things that is hard for a lot of people to comprehend now, but in the 1970s when Harley Race was being considered to be NWA World Champion, he almost did not get the chance because he had tattoos and a lot of the promoters didn't want the title on the guy that had a tattoo. Obviously, that has changed dramatically in the era we are now living in currently. What's been the biggest 
change within wrestling that you have noticed since your first start until now? Women referees are more acceptable. That's one thing I did notice because when I first started about my fourth year in, there was a female referee around here and like, it was tough to get bookings and it was like just tough for her just to be on shows and whatever. And it's one of those things like, oh yeah, I'm sure. And I'm like, you know, a six foot four, 320 pound guy is really going to listen to you when this thing at four foot six on a buck 10. And, you know, nowadays you turn on WWE and you turn on AEW and you see these amazing female referees, and I think that's one of the most amazing changes that has happened since I've actually been in there. You know, women aren't ridiculed as much for being referees and they're actually respected and put in higher positions, you know, has has obviously in TV positions as well. Obviously... Like you said, a lot of females are in referee positions at the national level and so forth, ring announcers, so forth. There was a big women's movement in our industry several years ago where they were given more chances at more positions. Do you think, by and large, the industry is a lot more open to females holding the different positions in the wrestling industry, or do you think that it is something that it's still a male-dominated sport, but there's a few people in the positions just to appease people? No. um, I think women are right up there with men now and are just as respected. Um, there's a company out of the Pennsylvania area, um, Eclipse. They're associated with AON. Um, they're also associated with 2PW. And I might be forgetting another promotion because I want to say there's four of them. But one of the head bookers, um, we call her Miss Boss Lady because she's a boss lady. She does an amazing job. She helps put the card together. She helps book, and she's just an amazing and bright and great person to be around, and she does an amazing job, and we all listen to her. Nobody, you know, complains. Nobody, you know, puts anything up or, you know, treats her any differently because she's a female in, in the booker's position, and we all love and respect and trust her decisions, and we're all happy to show up every single show day to work with her because she is just a pleasure to work with. Very nice to hear that. One of the ways a lot of wrestlers make money in this business is through merchandising. It often becomes a primary source of revenue, even taking the top spot from the actual wrestling itself a lot of times. What's your merchandise game like these days? Uh, I usually do shirts, 8x10s, 5x7s, bracelets. Um, I usually try to keep to 
um, lower prices because, you know, a, a, a lot of times, you know, some parents don't have the a lot of extra money to spend, you know, at the events. You know, they just had enough to, you know, bring the kid there, you know, get him or her a slice of pizza and a soda and just enjoy the show. So if I can, you know, carry merch, whether, you know, it's bracelets or just smaller things that are a dollar or two or maybe five so that, you know, people go home with something and go home with a memory is more of, what I focus on for merchandise. We are down to the last few minutes of the show, so I want to make sure you have ample time. If there's anything you would like to say to the listeners today, plug and promote anything and everything you like, social medias, merchandise, upcoming shows, your favorite bakery, anything at all in the world, floor is all yours. Hold on. Will they send me a cake if I plug them? Possibly. <laughs> it worked for CM Punk, I believe. Um, my social media, Facebook is Dewey Murray. Um, Twitter is at The Real Mother Trucker. Uh, you can, can order any Open Road Hellboys merchandise on Facebook through the Open Road Hellboys. Um, and my upcoming events are UW, EWF, uh, December 10th. I will be in the world's famous Dorton Arena in North Carolina for FWE, where the show is headlined by Brian Cage in a cage wrestling Carlito. Kurt Angle's making an appearance, and I'm taking on Colin Delaney, Vinny Pacifico, and the current hardcore champion. Um, my favorite bakery is M&L, so if you do listen, you're... Um, Chocolate chip cookie dough stuffed cake is delicious. <laughs> um, other than that, um, wherever you guys are actually listening to this, just type into Google Independent Wrestling and whatever town you're in, even if you're in Helsinki, I don't know, if you're in Kalamazoo, wherever you guys might be, even if you're in a different country, just type in and just go support Independent Wrestling. Yes, wrestling's booming on TV, but just as big as it's booming on TV, it's booming in your hometown. Trust me, go support independent wrestling. Absolutely. Well, Dewey Murray, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Best of luck to you as you go down there to Dorton. That's going to be a big time of show, I believe, so we look forward to hearing the results from that, fans definitely check out all your local independent wrestling. If Dewey Murray's on a show, go check him out. Great, great talent. I think you will enjoy him. Don't forget you can find myself tomorrow in Vaughn, Washington for Northwest Pro. Coach Mike Jones will be on the air with Lewis Rock on his own show tomorrow. Sunday we'll be back. We continue our Hall of Fame month with Troy Miller, the franchise. So, Make plans to be with us for that. Everybody stay safe. We will talk to you very soon. Cause now I-